standing, if you would. Take your Bibles and turn to Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua 1. We'll read verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all his, this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. For the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That sends a reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your Word. And, and what better way to start this new year than just to, to focus upon the things that you have revealed to us. Uh, Lord, we are praying for the work of your Spirit in, in our hearts. And so thankful that you have given us your Holy Spirit and your Word. And pray that you would work in us, God, to, to know you, to love you, to trust you, to obey you. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, here we are. 2021. Finally, right? 2020 is now a memory, right? And I know a lot of people are saying, and good riddance, right? Uh, but even as we come to the new year, and, and with the new year sort of comes the sense of a, of a fresh start, you know, uh, hoping that things will be better. Uh, if we really stop and admit it, though, there's still a lot of uncertainties in our lives, right? And whether that might be political uncertainties uh, with the transition from one president to another in the administration and not knowing what, what that will entail, some excited, some not so much excited. Uh, whether that be financial uncertainties, it might be those that are concerned about their investments, or maybe those that are soon to be retiring and not knowing how they'll be able to make ends meet, whether it might be people uh, wondering if they'll have their jobs, it might be small businesses that are wondering if they'll still be open at the end of the year, maybe some wondering if they're going to still be open at the end of the month. Um, uncertainties regarding our health and our well-being. It, it might even be uncertainties about our freedoms as citizens and especially as Christians. But, you know, while no one knows what the future holds, only God knows that, uh, there is probably one thing that I could say would probably be pretty certain in 2021, 
is that our faith will be tested. That God loves us enough that He wants us to grow in, in, in the midst of trusting Him. And, and it, it may be in ways that we never expected. And that may be saying something after coming through 2020, right? Now, you listen to that and you may think, well, Pastor Rick, that is not encouraging. Can we not think of a better way to start the sermon for 2021? Uh, and especially if you're ending 2020 feeling tired and weary, uh, maybe discouraged and dismayed, uh, feeling little stability in your life. I mean, what you really want more than anything is just to get back to normal. I think a lot of us feel that way. But I want you to know that in Jesus Christ, there is hope. In Christ, there is hope that we can stand firm, even in the face of these uncertainties. Now, you might say, how? You know, how can we face the uncertainties that may come our way in 2021 when we're already weak and we're struggling? Uh, how can we have confident peace in the face of the uncertainties of the future? Well, the uncertainties that we face are, are not unlike that of Joshua in our, in our text today. And, and so I want us to look, take your scriptures and have them open to Joshua 1. But, but really, in order to understand and really appreciate what's going on in Joshua 1, you really have to look back at Deuteronomy 30 through 34. And I'm not going to read all those chapters, obviously, but I, I do want to sort of hit the highlights and bring you up to speed and give you the backstory of, of what's happening. Here's, here's Joshua. He's, he's Moses' right-hand man. Uh, he's been with Moses' side. He's been by his side throughout the journeys from Egypt now to the, the entry into the land of Canaan. As a matter of fact, Joshua was one of the 12 spies that 40 years ago uh, went into the land to check it out to see if, if you know, if it, they could, Israelites could go in. And of course, every spy came back saying, man, this is great land. Flowing with milk and honey, it's just like perfect. But 10 of the spies said, but you know what? There's giants in the land and we can't take them. But Joshua was not part of that group. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that said, we can do this because the Lord is with us. So Joshua... Is a, is a man of, of great faith. Uh, he, he had seen Moses talk to the Lord. He, he had seen the Lord talk to his people through Moses. Uh, he understood that Moses was a man like no other. He talked to God face to face. You know, I know there's people today who might claim that, but, but he actually did that. If you would, turn to Numbers chapter 12. And in Numbers 12... Uh, Aaron and uh, Miriam, who were Moses' brother and sister, basically woke up one day and said, why do we have to listen to him? Moses? Why does Moses think he has to be the one that you know, calls all the shots? And so the Lord comes down to rebuke them. And, and this is what the Lord says to them about his servant Moses. Okay, uh, Numbers chapter 12, beginning in verse 6, this is what God says. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and, and not in riddles. In other words, he says, you know, listen, I, you know, with the prophets, I usually talk to them in dreams, visions, things like that, but with Moses, it is very clear. It is mouth to mouth. It is face to face. And he even goes on and says, 
and he, that is Moses, beholds the form of the Lord. That's how intimate Moses was with God. And then if you would, turn over to Deuteronomy 34. Let me turn back, it's just right for Joshua. Deuteronomy 34, 10. This is how Moses is described. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent to him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. And so you can see here from these texts that Moses was not just any prophet. He wasn't a lightweight. He was, he was truly a great man of God. Now, we've been reading in Exodus for our Old Testament scripture reading. And if you look at Exodus 32 through 34, in those chapters, you see that God was going to destroy Israel for their sin. And he even said to Moses, look, Moses, I'm going to wipe these people out and I will raise a great nation out of you. And... Of course, Moses goes before the Lord and he intercedes on the behalf of Israel. And God says, well, okay, I won't destroy them. As a matter of fact, I will go forward and be present with them. And you see that, that intimacy work out. So uh, you have here Joshua, who's a great man of faith, but he is no Moses. Okay? If you compared him with Moses, he's, he's very different. Um, now... Um, as great as Moses was, we also read in Deuteronomy 32 that the Lord spoke to Moses in 32.51. And, and God said to Moses, Moses, you have broken faith with me at Meribah Kadesh for not treating me as holy. And so therefore you will not enter the promised land. And so instead God commissioned Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. And, and back in chapter 31, verse 23, God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Recognize those words, kids? We read those a lot. It's repeated over and over and over and over in our text today. Be strong and courageous. And I think part of the reason why God said that to Joshua is because he knew that it wasn't going to be a simple road ahead for him. But anyway, then in uh, chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, uh, then we read how God told Moses to go up to Mount Nebo, that was in Moab, opposite of Jericho, and he told Moses to look into the promised land. In chapter 34, Moses does that. He goes up, he looks into the promised land. He doesn't get to enter it, but he gets to see it. And then it says afterwards, he died, and it says, and the Lord buried Moses in the valley of the land of Moab. Now, that brings us up to speed to Joshua chapter 1. Okay, where we read, And the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. God's now come to Joshua, and he's told them, Moses is dead. You know, uh, it's, it's up to Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. And so here is this new leader. He's a man of faith. He's a man of courage, obedience, devotion to the Lord. But he's no Moses. Okay? And, and the people know that. And, and I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you've, been under a very good leader before and then something happens and that leader leaves or they die or you know hopefully not something that tragic but they leave and you get a new leader and they're not as good and you know as a person you're sort of like wondering what's going to happen and you know 
there's a little bit of that kind of apprehension. And I say that because if you look later on in Joshua 1, the Lord does things to instill confidence of the people in Joshua. Okay? Um, because he understands that they are probably struggling with that. And who knows, maybe Joshua was struggling with that himself. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that Joshua had some very powerful enemies that they were going to have to face as a nation. And not only were there great warriors in Canaan that they had to do battle with, but God had already revealed to Joshua that the Israelites were going to rebel too as well. And so here, here's this new leader uh, getting ready to lead, knowing he's going to have enemies without and within as well. And so, uh, so in this time of transition, what does God do? He comes to Joshua. And the Lord is faithful as he is to all of his people. And he comes to Joshua in the face of this uncertainty and he commands him to be strong and courageous. He commands him. He knows it's not going to be something that's going to come just naturally, but he commands him to be strong and very courageous. Um, the Lord directed uh, Joshua to do that. And the reason that Joshua could is because of three truths. First of all, the certainty of God's purposes and promise. The certainty of God's purpose and promises, as we see in the text. Uh, second of all, the encouragement of God's presence. The encouragement of God's presence. And then third of all, the centrality of God's word. The centrality of God's word. So I want to look at those this morning. First of all, the certainty of God's purpose and promises. Look at verses 1 through 4. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, rise, go over uh, this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now, God is reassuring Joshua that the promise that the Lord had made to Abram back in Genesis 12 and 13 was about to be fulfilled. As a matter of fact, look at verse 3. Verse 3, that although they hadn't yet received any of the land, they weren't even in the land of Canaan yet, and yet God can say, I have given it to you. I have given you the land. That's how sure God's promises are. And we see here the certainty of God's promise to his people. And we need to be reminded that God's purposes never fail. Uh, Moses, the mighty leader and the man of God may be dead, but the purposes of God is not. And brothers and sisters, we need to remember that. That the work of God is not dependent upon men or circumstances. And so when you wake up uh, mid-February and you read the headlines of the news that, that shake you and, your circum and you look at the circumstances and you think, oh no, fear not. Be strong. Be courageous. God's promises are still true. His, His purposes are there. We can trust that God's promises are true. We can look to His promises when our circumstances tempt us to doubt God. God can be trusted. What do we sing, right, when we come to worship? Those who trust Him fully 
Find him holy. True. Right? He's true. We can trust the Lord. There's a dependability about God. There's a rock-like quality about our mighty God. But we often don't experience that kind of rock-like quality as Christians in our lives. Now, I think it's worth noting as you look at our text today that much of what God promised in the first four verses actually never came about. I don't know if you ever thought about that. But the Israelites did not conquer as much land as the Lord described in verses 1 through 4. Now you might look at that and say, okay, does that mean then that God's not trustworthy regarding His promises? And the answer is not at all. Not at all. We must know that the realization of what God's promised is dependent on the wholehearted obedience of God's people. Let me say that again. That, that what God promised is dependent on the wholehearted obedience of God's people. Oftentimes with God's uh, promises, there are conditions. What God promises, He is true to give. But we oftentimes do not experience those things because we uh, have maybe a lack of faith. Uh, it's interesting, if you look at the book of Joshua and read it all the way through, there's sort of a sadness to the book uh, because the conquest was not complete. Israel instead gave in to compromise. They gave in to comfort. And as a result, the people in the, of the land were not driven out. And so the same lack of faith and unbelief that the earlier generation had when they were standing on the edge of the Canaanite land 40 years earlier was now experienced and surfaced again with this generation. Uh, as, as the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 3.19 that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the great landmass could have been Israel's had she risen to the challenge in faith and in obedience. And like them, we know too well what it is to settle for that which we can attain, right? Oftentimes we live our lives only in that which we can attain with our own strength rather than, and, and, and as a result of that, we miss the vast dimensions of God's wonderful grace and His potential grace in, in, uh, in His promises because there's never any shortage of power or depletion of God's purpose on our part. It must be true that none of us has less of God and His promised blessings than we truly desire. God gives us everything we need if we, as we follow and as we, we trust in Him. Um, and so Joshua, as he listens to God's promises, he takes those things to heart. Joshua is a man, it's interesting that there's always some great moral failing with every man in Scripture, it seems like. Man, woman, child. But with Joshua, that's not the case. And part of the reason is, is he is, foreshadows Christ. In Christ who is perfect. And it's in Christ that all of our promises are yes. And that we can trust God. And so we see the certainty of God's purposes and, and His promises. That, that we can trust Him and know that He is fully true. The second thing we see is the encouragement of God's presence. And, and look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. It, it is interesting and worth noting that the very same words that are, that are spoken here to Joshua 
were spoken years earlier to another person who found themselves in the same circumstances as Joshua. Someone whom the Lord was calling to do something that was beyond their abilities and who was very terrified and very timid about the call that God was placing on their life. And that man's name was Moses. In Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 12, the Lord speaks these words to Moses. He says, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You see, Moses is now dead, but, but God has not changed. He is still Yahweh, the God who is present with His servant and His people to help and to deliver them. And so it's not the man that makes the difference. It is the God that changes the man and prepares him and uses him for His glory. And as Christians, we have the same promise today that God is, is with us. And we see that in various scriptures. And I don't know if you've ever thought about why the Lord places this phrase over and over in different places. Like, for example, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Turn there, Matthew 28. I know you're very familiar with it. It's known as the, the Great Commission. Uh, let me begin with verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, that is to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then what's he say at the end? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, in fulfilling the Great Commission, we are not left on our own, brothers and sisters. We might sometimes, as the church, act that way. And maybe sometimes our witness is very weak because we think that it's a task that God gave us to do and that we need to do in our own strength. But the solution for our timidity in witnessing is the promise that God is with us. That He is the one that does it through us. He is the one that gives us strength. He is the one that gives us wisdom. He is the one that gives us boldness to uh, be His servants and to do according to His will. Turn over to Hebrews 13. We looked at this a couple weeks ago as we finished the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Another example. The writer says to his flock, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we, may, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, it is God's presence with us that is the solution to our struggle and our sin of covetousness or our sin of, of discontentment. As, as we look to the Lord, as we know Him, as we walk with Him, as we trust that He is with us, and He gives us everything that we need. And it is good. All good gifts come from God above, right? As, as James talks about and as we know that, as we trust the Lord in that, then, then we don't have to love money. We don't have to look to money to give us the things that, that we need. We can trust the Lord. There's a sense in which we can have contentment in, in our lives. As we know that what we have is exactly what the Lord thinks that we need. And we can trust in that. So knowing and abiding in God and His presence leads to a life of freedom. A freedom from fear, a freedom from worry. 
It can trust in Him. Let me read one other scripture. You don't have to turn there because it's very familiar to you. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is with His people. So the promise of God's abiding presence that we read here in Joshua 1 is also for us. Uh, no matter how dark or no matter how difficult, no matter how trying your circumstances may be, no matter what obstacles, no matter how many quarantines you've had to endure and all the isolation that goes with that, no matter what the news headlines say, no matter how fierce the opposition, no matter how you may feel, no matter what state or mood that you're in, there is nothing more essential for the people of God than to hear that their God repeating to them amidst those changing circumstances, I will be with you, I will not forsake you. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of this as we face 2021, that it doesn't really matter in one sense what this year holds, What's most important is that our God is with us through every step of the way. Joshua is told to be strong only because the Lord is with him. We see that in verse 9. So brothers and sisters, let us be strong and courageous for your God is with you. And then third and finally, I want us to see the centrality of God's word. Look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right and or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So the Lord tells Joshua to be careful to obey all the instruction and the promises of Scripture. He said, look guys, don't deviate. That's how when he says don't turn from the left or the right kids, that's really what he's saying. Don't deviate. Have you ever had your parents say to you kids, kids, listen, listen. And they make sure that they have your attention and they say, listen, I need you to do exactly what I tell you. Do you understand me? Have you ever had your parents do that? Well, in one sense, that's sort of what God is saying to his people. Listen, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you because it is so important. It is so good for us that he is giving us his word. And the Lord tells Joshua to be careful to obey his instructions. Then in verse 8, uh, God tells Joshua the way that leads to such obedience. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You see, the Lord tells Joshua to meditate, to, to murmur, We've talked about in the past how meditation is sort of the same idea of a cow chewing his cud. He sort of brings it up over and over and over. And it's sort of that kind of idea of, of not just having your quiet time and not just reading it and saying, okay, I'm done and putting your Bible down and moving on, take, checking that off your list. There's a sense of meditating, of thinking, of, of, of hiding God's Word in your heart. And, and as he says here, you do this day and night that he will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. it this just has an echo of Psalm 1-2, right? Where it talks about the righteous man. It said the righteous man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he what? He meditates day and night. You see, constant, careful, absorbing of the word of God leads to obedience, brothers and sisters. 
in the same way, a lack of study results in a lack of obedience. Um, one way I like to think about um, hiding God's word in your heart and sort of meditating on it is it's sort of like garlic, okay, like garlic. Now, I'm not a great cook, but we did live in Florida for a number of years and minister there, and there's a strong Cuban influence, in, at least in the portion of Florida that we lived in, and so there was a lot of garlic that was used. And I'm not talking about garlic every once in a while. I'm talking about, I think they put garlic in their desserts. I mean, it's just, gar- it was a staple of life. And, and one thing you know about garlic is, if you take in enough garlic, which, if you're Cuban, that's just a requirement, okay, you take in a lot of garlic, guess what? It starts coming out through your pores. There's just sort of this aroma of garlic around people that that love to eat garlic. And it's the same way with God's Word. As we take that Word into us, as we meditate upon us, it sort of comes out through our spiritual pores. You know, people can just tell that. I mean, don't you know people who know God's Word? They're always, it's like they can't say something without quoting a Bible verse because that so directs their their path and and leads them. And so, uh, anyway, so verse 7 tells us, that, that strength and courage are directly dependent on careful, detailed obedience to the written Word of God. But we've got to know God's Word if we're going to obey it. So Joshua is to be under the authority of God, uh, mediated by His written Word. And, and, and as is every believer who is a recipient of God's revelation. And in this sense, Joshua stands with us and for us as we face the spiritual battles and challenges of our time in history. Now, I want you to notice what that kind of faith looks like. Um, it's, it's an unswerving devotion to practice in detail everything God commands. It doesn't mean I just sort of know what God's Word means, but it's a sense of knowing the specific of what God says in His Word. And I think that's a great plague in the church today. You know, there's a great biblical illiteracy in the church today. People oftentimes don't even know what God's Word says, let alone know specifically what God says. And then, if we don't know it, as I said before, then we're not going to do it. And yet, God tells us we are not only to know it in detail, but He's commanded us to obey it. So, it's it's an obedience uh, that sort of keeps the channels of grace open as as we meditate on God's Word. It's, it's 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 a grace... Well, it's an obedience like that, that that keeps the channels of grace open so that goals or achieved ministries are effective and God's purposes get fulfilled. Lord, is, uh, guys, as we keep God's Word, the Lord's Word, before us always, and that is guiding us and that is directing us, then God's purposes get fulfilled. God's goals are achieved. Ministries are effective. You know, I wonder maybe sometimes in the church if maybe we're a lot less effective as, as, as churches because maybe we're not as focused upon God's Word and, and careful obedience to us. Um, so, in other words, it means that we need to keep a deep and detailed acquaintance with the content of God's revelation and to meditate on that, like I said, day and night. Now, when I say that day and night, kids, that doesn't mean you always walk around with your Bibles open. Okay, you always have to to be reading the Bible. That's not what it means when it says day and night. But it does mean that there is never a moment when whatever decision has to be made that the book of God is not in the driver's seat. 
That, is, that we're not going back to God's Word to see what it says. That is, we've memorized God's Word and we've taken that to heart, that it directs and guides us. And that's what happened with Joshua. He was very careful to do everything he wanted. Now, not all the Israelites were, and oftentimes there was sin, and there was, uh, they had to sometimes deal with sin in a very harsh way, in a, in a very careful way, um, according to God's will. Um, and not always easy to do, but Joshua did it, as he was following the Lord. And so God is gracious to give him, to give us his word. I mean, we live, brothers and sisters, in a, in a time and a culture where our culture is catechizing us in humanistic ways. And they're seeking to catechize our kids and our grandkids in very humanistic ways that has no place for a God outside of ourselves. We are God. But God gives us His Word to guide us down the right path. Psalm 119, 105. He, he gives us His Word to keep us from sinning. Psalm 119, 11. And to keep our way pure. Psalm 119, 9. You see, notice uh, how the writer of Joshua stresses the urgency of the obedience of God's Word at the end of this book. Look at Joshua 22, verse 5. Listen carefully. It says, only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve with him with all your heart and with all your soul. Only be very careful. Uh, Joshua 23, verse 6. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Now, why is that so important? Because God's word is, is powerful, as we've said. I mean, Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. And so God's word will accomplish its purpose. If God in his kindness has shown his people how they are to live in relationship with him, God came to Joshua and said, you can trust um, in me because these things are true. Then the obedience that's active, um, then obedience that's active and not merely intellectual is the only way to appropriate that goodness. As we walk by faith, and we trust in God. If we want to know God's promises in practice and experience their growing potential in our lives, we must obey God's commands. And that's what the life of faith is about. The promises of God are, are unconditional in terms of God's own commitment. What God says is true. But their enjoyment, the enjoyment of those promises, depends upon our detailed obedience. And that means walking by faith. As James tells us in James chapter 2. I mean, it's, it's like if I gave you a check for $1,000 and I signed it and I had the money in the bank and I said, here you go. I just want to give you $1,000. You know, that's great, but you're not going to enjoy the blessing of that $1,000 until you take that check and you go to the bank and you cash it. If you take that $1,000 check and you put it up on the wall and you frame it, it's not going to do you any good. And it's the same way with God's promises. Now, brothers and sisters, as, as we uh, consider this text, I just want to remind you that our hope, as I said before, is in Christ. 
We are a fickle people, right? We don't always have the faith. We forget sometimes God's promises. We, we don't always live as if God is present with us. Oftentimes, our, our Bibles will go maybe days without being opened. Um, but Jesus is faithful. God is faithful. He, he has, uh, Christ has not only died for us, um, He has given us and made us new creatures in Christ, but He has given us His Spirit, His presence that's not just with us, but dwells within us. God's presence is with His people that gives us strength that is always calling us to repentance when we are tempted to stray. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and He prays for us. And He knows God's will and He knows God's promises and He prays those things for us and we can trust in Him. And so as we come into 2021, let us not so much have our focus upon, I wonder what kind of year this is going to be. I wonder if, if it's going to be better than 2020. I wonder how it's going to be different. You know, let us not focus upon that. But let us focus rather upon who our God is. Knowing that no matter what the circumstances are, um, we can be strong and we can be courageous as we trust in the Lord. Amen? Let's take just a moment and, uh, and meditate on the Word of God that we've heard preached with a time of silence. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Uh, in the same way that you came to, to Joshua in, in that time of transition, in that the time when when he could have feared, when he could have been thinking about the things that are coming, that you reminded him that you were with him. That what really matters is God, not so much who he is, but who you are. And that you reminded him that he could follow you. He could follow you. He could be strong in you. He could be courageous in you, trusting your promises, knowing you're present, being guided by your word. And Lord, as we come into this new year, I pray that we would be the same, that we could look to you, O oh Lord. We could rejoice that there is hope, not because of the way 2021 is going to turn out or, or even because of our faithfulness, but just to know, God, that you are faithful. We pray that you would work in us, God, in ever-increasing love and, and trust in you. Uh, Lord, that we would be reminded of your past faithfulness. And Lord, look to you uh, to, to stand firm as, as, Lord, your promises will be tested. Lord, the circumstances of our world will push back and say that you don't exist. And we as your people will have to stand firm. And I pray that you would enable us to do that. And Lord, to enjoy the fulfillment of the, the promises that you have given. Lord, I pray that we would not take a passive posture this year, but an aggressive posture, Lord, that we might see your kingdom spread in Andover and the surrounding areas. Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified. 
Father, we pray even so boldly that you would bring into our church at least one person, Lord, this year. Maybe that's too small a faith, I don't know, but at least one person who did not know you but who has come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would see your mighty work. Uh, we thank you, O Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.